storytelling and performance art bring together a duo of ebony and ivory. At first, they struggle to find success. However, after a riot that results in the death of one of their bandmates, the couple shoots to stardom and quickly break up. Is a revival of this successful group possible after their schism? The author, Donnie Walton, the book, The Final Revival of Opal and Nev. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's, Let's get, get lit! lit. <laughs> This is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Mm-hmm. Well, hello, Kari. Long time no see ya. <laughs> I understand you went on a little vac oh no, a work vacation. I don't talk about such things. And I will mm. say you sound very, very tired. <laughs> uh we haven't recorded. I don't talk this about early. such things. <laughs> we are recording early for the first time in a long time doing the thing but uh yes i did i hopped on a plane and went away for work um and it was very very uh weird because i haven't been flying like all of us um Mm -hmm. not regularly anyway how was the flight Um, great i mean a lot of people this back to normal flying with people. I don't people. know who is behind me. I imagine, um, but I uh, sat in the very front and oh, uh, closed oh, my oh, eyes. Okay, and was dead to the world until we landed. Oh right, you did tell us about your flight routine. So does yep. that mean you did not eat on the plane? Mm. So uh, I did. So it's a little weird, but the stewardess came up to our um, to my seat and was like, "I found some chocolates in my purse. Would you like some?" <laughs> and I said, what? "I sure would." <laughs> she was, wow. you know, that's completely contradictory. She looked like she could be a cousin. I know, I know. <laughs> she was so cool, though. She looked oh. like she could be family. Okay. She put it on a gold tray with like oh. some um a dolly, <laughs> the candy from her purse, and yeah, I, I was like, I also take an old fashioned with this. She said, I got one for you, honey. So thanks, sis. So it was reckless, but it was fun. So okay, what about so you? you? What was your <laughs> go ahead? So you drank and ate on the plane that you gave Let's us. Move on. No one cares about me. Like okay, care. I'm just checking. I'm just checking. Okay, all right, we can move on. <laughs> While you had your fun time away, I had to play auntie to a kitty, and I How had a great that? time. So our producers are the perfect kitten. Stayed at your house for the first time. Was it exciting? Mm-hmm. 
It was um, it was exciting. I actually played parent to her. I was like a nervous mom with a new baby <laughs> for the first time, and so I I'm a hard sleeper. I don't wake up for anything, but I slept lightly when she arrived Aww. because I wanted to make sure she was okay. And yeah, it was a pretty good week after she got used to me, and then she was back to being her really, you know, honorary self. Honorary Alexis Honoria. Okay. <laughs> it's in and, your name. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, I'm moving on. I'm moving <laughs> on. I'm moving on. You know, each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. This week's theme is ha, Name Those Lyrics. Do it. Oh um, the 70s. You're putting right. me on the spot? Yes, Kari, <laughs> after all those fun times of you putting me on the spot. And hey, I <laughs> did my best to make this a challenge. Okay. I can't Let wait. me see what you got. It's going to be uh, Captain Anthony. I don't know. I never heard of them <laughs> until you told me. <laughs> well, we shall see. Ooh, we shall see. But okay. let me just start by saying I love duets. They've always been my favorite. I love them. Mostly ballads, though. But anyway. You love like the um, juxtaposition of a man's voice with a woman's or like, mm-hmm. are you yep. fine with like, you know, changing faces? <laughs> remember changing faces? Oh, yeah. I do remember yeah. them. <laughs> so I too, like them, too. Yeah, but I prefer yeah. um, the man and the woman. Okay. Okay. I do. Okay, so here we go. Song number one. Now, I need you to listen carefully to these lyrics. I will give you two points if you get the song correct and one point if you get each of the artists correct. Are you going to give me like a genre or a year, decade? Uh, I said decade in my title, 70s. Why would I know that? Okay. Yeah, why would you know that? (laughs) I will try. Mm-hmm. Remember, you get two points for the title. <laughs> I don't like being in. I like being in control. <laughs> I know you do. Put and you one on point the spot for each artist. Okay. Yes, All ma'am. right. Here we go. <laughs> Listen carefully to the lyrics. They will not be sung to you. They will be read to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I made sure to make it a challenge. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> You told me that you didn't love me and you were going to say goodbye. But if you really didn't mean it, why did you have to lie? I have Name no that. Idea. <laughs> this is a duet. This is a duet. You tell me you didn't love me. Why'd you, why was you lying and stuff if you weren't going to leave? I don't know. Who said that? <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> I should give you a hint. Yeah, something. Hint number one. A group called the Fugees remade one of her songs in 1996. Oh, I know who this is. Google. <laughs> this is Roberta with- Flack. Oh, my goodness. You are cheating big time. So, listen, all I uh, Googled was uh, who originally sang uh, Killing Me Softly. So, I don't know this song. You don't have to give me the point. I cheated. So, it's Roberta Flack and uh, Marvin Gaye. 
Oh, poor, poor thing. You get one point. <laughs> you trying to take you've been trying to take my black card since we started this show. And now you feel like you're gonna out me. I'm, it ain't I'm gonna, gonna win. I'm I'm gonna win. Okay. You can't I'm gonna win. win you're the MC. <laughs> I can only lose. <laughs> that is me winning. So do you I losing? get one point? You get no, you don't you get a point for cheating. Say, you hear what friends say? That is me winning when you lose. <laughs> Oh, that's oh, that's wicked. Hmm. That's anyway, the definition of a hater. You do not get a point for cheating. Okay, Fine. so let's move on to the next song. You no, ready? No, no, tell me, tell me the answer. Oh, you want the answer too? Yeah. Now remember, it's early. You may have to remind me that. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna sing it to you. Okay. Ooh. Where is the love? Where is the Don, uh, Donny Hathaway? Yes. Is yes, it? yes. Yep. Where is the love you said was mine, all mine, till the end of time? Was it just Roberta no Tuck and Donny Hathaway? Where is the love? Are you serious? This is like in Limitless when he took that pill and it pulled to mind things he didn't even know was in there. I don't know anything about Donny Hathaway or Roberta Flack. Did you say really? Donny Hathaway? Uh-uh, you said That's it. That's crazy. I don't know anything about them. Oh, wow. Okay, so I this was... I don't remember was... growing up listening to that, but you sang it and I knew Donny Hathaway. That's <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Brains. That was a... Uh... A 1972 hit, and they made it to number five on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. That's a song that's like in the ethos. You just know it exists your whole life. Yeah. But I don't remember anybody in my house like putting on the Roberta Flack. Oh, really? Vinyl. Mm-mm. Okay. All right. Let's move it they along. They probably did, then. but I wasn't paying attention. Ready for the next song? Woo! Let's do it. I'm warmed up now. Okay. Uh, every here we go. is gonna be Donny Hathaway. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Nobody knows it. When I was down, I was your clown. Nobody knows it. Right from the start, I gave you my heart. I gave you my heart. Why would I know songs from the 70s, though? (laughs) Because you played... You've played so songs I have to from know the, the whole decade because I knew James Brown and Bootsy <laughs> Collins. Is this even funk music? It's not. I wouldn't know this. I don't know. You I don't, don't know. know it at all. No. I'm going to give you a hint. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? Sure. All right. One of the singers was the first woman singer from the UK to sign with Motown's Tamla Records. From the UK. She was white or black? White. Uh, Rick James and Tina Marie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. No. (laughs) It's not even her name. Sorry. Uh, Okay, Um, okay. I I got another hint for you because that doesn't sound like that won you over. This duet sung another song called True Love. <laughs> Boo, your hints. <laughs> um, uh, I can give you another one. I have another for you. Please. One of the singers co-wrote the soundtrack to Lion King. So this is Elton John and... A black woman? A white woman? A white woman. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Benny. 
because she flew over on the jet and he had made that song about it. I don't know. <laughs> Donny uh, Hathaway. Elton John and Donny Hathaway. I'll give you one point. And okay. here we go. <laughs> don't go breaking my heart. That's in the commercial. Don't go breaking my heart. Sugar, That's sugar. the name of the song. Uh, Elton John and Kiki D. I don't know who that is. No, Kiki White. You can't just be talking about Kiki White like that. Though. That's she a real singer. It made the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 number one. A million years before we was born. In 1976. Uh, sure, okay. Okay. I don't even think my parents have met yet. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel challenged yet? No, I, I feel like giving up. <laughs> what is this? Next is going to be songs from the 1920s. If you don't guess it. Uh. <laughs> I am really enjoying this. This is what it feels Would like. Would you be able to guess these songs? <laughs> That's not the point. Okay, here's a doozy. Cause there may be times when you think you lost your mind. <laughs> this is one of them. <laughs> and the steps you're taking leave you three, four steps behind. But the road you're walking might be long sometimes. You just keep on stepping and you'll be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> no. And them lyrics are terrible. Whoever wrote this ain't good at it. I hope they found another career. This is a one hit wonder. Um, can I have a hint? <laughs> Who wrote this terrible song? What is it even about? I don't even know what they saying. This is a duet. <laughs> to do it now now i will add you can broaden your your um your range your genres your areas of music if you will to include movies and musicals i don't even know what that mean what you just said okay can i have a hit it's a song <laughs> in a popular musical all black cast this is from The Wiz, and it's uh, Diana Ross and Michael Jackson. Okay, let's hear the chorus. You can't win. Is that it? <laughs> oh. Oh, that's the only song in the whole show. <laughs> oh, and then, when I think of home, my. Ooh. No. <laughs> no. Okay, go no. ahead. Just trying to clean it up. Uh, ease on down, ease on down the road. Never heard of it. I take two steps back. 
<laughs> oh wait, just Paula Abdul. <laughs> not the same song. You're really not doing good at this. Can I tell you? I watch the Wiz because I'm culturally obligated to do it. It's creepy. <laughs> it not as creepy. creepy as the Wizard of Oz. That I just <laughs> refuse to watch. But uh, until they get to like it's green and all that, oh, I don't really a- it don't really hold my attention. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It made the U.S. Billboard Top 100, number 41. Okay. And those were the two people, Michael Jackson and Diana yep. Ross? Michael Jackson and I Diana knew Ross. It. A 1978 hit. Yikes. Now, this one may be a bit of a challenge for you. There's more? <laughs> <laughs> I lost. It's over. <laughs> okay, go ahead. This I just is fun. have two more. Okay, okay great. Here's the lyrics. Tell him to just get out. Nothing left to talk about. Pack his raincoat. Show him out. Just look him in the eye and simply shout. So this is some man that want her to get rid of her man. And he made sure it was raining the day she's supposed to kick him out. Tell him pack his raincoat and get out. I don't know. Who is this trifling man? And this foolish woman. Who is this? I'll give you a hint. One of the singers was in Yento. Barbara Streisand? Yes. (laughs) What? I don't know. Uh, Barbara Streisand had a duet with a black gentleman? (laughs) Black is correct. Uh, I'll give you another hint. One of the singers is called the queen of disco. So Donna Summer and Barbara Streisand? Yes, correct. Oh, okay, okay. Hmm. Okay. This is a bit of a rock song, so I don't really know the um, melody for it, but it's called Oh, this no is More when Tears. Barbara's giving the advice. Barbara <laughs> is like, tell him to pack his bags, right? <laughs> Oh, they what? both were doing it. It's called oh. No More Tears, Enough is Enough. So it goes, enough is enough. I can't go on. I can't. Enough is enough. Is enough. I can't go on. I can't go on. No more. No. Enough is enough. Is enough. No more. No yeah, more. No, no more tears. No more tears. No more tears. No, no more no. pain in my life. That's the song, girl. You don't know the song. And it made the U.S. No more Billboard. No drama in my life. Hot no 100, more. number one. No, no, no. Oh, I know that song. Okay. Yes, Mary J. Blige. Wait, what was the question? <laughs> okay, just forget it. Let's go. <laughs> but you did get two points for that. Oh, mm-hmm. yay! Mm-hmm. Boy, you're really coming around here. Yeah, no, I know my music. Yeah, you do, don't you, Miss mm-hmm. Music Lady? <laughs> okay, here's a doozy. <laughs> you better shape up, because I need a man, and my heart is set on you. You better shape up, you better understand. To my heart, I must be true, nothing left. Nothing left for me to do. Oh, these lyrics. Um, <clears throat> I have no idea. Hint. <laughs> the, the song is from a film adaptation of a musical. Mm, a film ab- adaptation. Abda- what's the word? Adaptation. 
Now I got to think how to say the word. Abdication. <laughs> Abdication. <sighs> <laughs> of a musical. I want you. There's nothing. Dream girls. No. Hint number two. <laughs> One of the singers made a song called Physical. Let's get physical. I have yeah. no idea who sings that. <laughs> yeah, that's the song. Um, You're getting closer. Did she sing? Um, uh, how long how about I another keep up this ruse? <laughs> okay, how about another hint? Cindy Lauper. Oh my god! That's the name. That's the name. That's somebody that be singing. That is someone that sings. Yes, one <laughs> one of the singers was it on a television show called Welcome Back, Cotter. No, <laughs> next. <laughs> How old do you think I am? <laughs> I, I put, I put I that one in. Like you don't even know me. Do we know each other? <laughs> I put that one in there for fun. <laughs> My goodness. I, I didn't think you would get it. It was, was great. Was the just... first show ever on broadcast television? I don't know. <laughs> you make me feel like a spring chicken. Thanks. Oh, okay. <sighs> okay. <laughs> this is really enjoyable. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this. I'm really enjoying this. You have no idea. Okay. Are you ready for the answer? You don't have no more hints. <laughs> no. Cindy Lauper and Luther Vandross. I can give you one more hint. Yes, please. One of the singers was in a movie called Face Off. <laughs> John Travolta and Cindy Lauper. <laughs> <laughs> what an established is Cindy Lauper. What do you want from me? <laughs> this is from Greece. This is yes. from Greece. Uh-huh. Which I've never seen. Mm-hmm. And um oh, what's the other lady name? Oh well. No, nah, I don't know. <laughs> Newton. Isaac Newton. Uh, um, some Newton. Sandy Newton. Oh, no. Hold on. Hold on. Newton. Newton. This is Newton. great. I've got tears in my eyes. This is great. I'm really loving this. <laughs> Kathy Newton. <laughs> but you're John so close. Travolta and Kathy Newton. Christy Newton. Can I? Karen you, Newton. You want the answer? Brittany Newton. Deborah Newton. <laughs> hope we got this on record Melissa Newton (laughs) okay no I don't know (laughs) Olivia Newton John Olivia Newton John (laughs) I get that because I I did know it in the recesses of my mind she was kicking it with Donnie Hathaway in my brain but Donnie wouldn't let it go and so I couldn't think of her you're the one that I want Oh wait, is this the song? It's <laughs> the song. <laughs> nah, never you're heard the of one. It. I, you're the one that I want. John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Oh, I heard this. 1978. Exactly. Exactly. Yep, that's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was in a commercial. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was used in a lot of one. Okay. Yeah. Do you have the heart for one more? One sure. more. This okay. is exciting, but I just wish you had chose something like. <laughs> From the 80s. <laughs> Honey, our our couple in the book is from the 70s. Are they? Yes. 
<laughs> I okay. would have loved to go to the 80s. You would have beat all of those up. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That mm-hmm. makes me feel better. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Song number six. I was a fool to ever leave your side. Me minus you is such a lonely ride. The breakup we had has made me lonesome and sad. I realize I love you because I want you back. Hey, hey. I, I want you back. I want you back. <laughs> Wait, now everything sounds like you the one that I want. I want you back. <laughs> it's the Backstreet Boys. Um, <laughs> you ready for a hint? Well, how did it start? I was a fool to ever leave your side. I was a side. fool. I was petrified. <laughs> that's not it is it I don't know (laughs) I don't know are you ready for a hint I feel so depressed now I can't even continue with the show (laughs) yeah go ahead this duet made music and various genres including disco funk soul and R&B Marvin Gaye (laughs) it's not Marvin Gaye I don't know who else was duetting like that. It's a man and a woman. Yes. Um. Can I have another hint? Mm-hmm. This song is a sequel to their 1968 song. We'll be united. Nope. Uh, you got another one? Another big hit of this duel is "Shake Your Groove Thing." Shake your groove thing. Shake your groove thing. That's yeah, it. yeah. Yeah, Casey, Casey and JoJo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Obviously, this game needs to end before I further embarrass myself. It's, okay. it's nobody's name is Casey. <laughs> Casey Kasem. <laughs> How about this? Shake it good. Reunited and it, and feels, it feels so good. So what's the song? I don't know. Reunited by Peaches and Herb. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Peaches and Herb. Yes, yes, yes. Of course. I appreciate your participation Uh, in the game. (laughs) You got any more? Because I I, feel like I would get the next one. (laughs) I thought you was going to get that one. Why? Why did you think that? (laughs) This is great. Okay. Can we continue with the show? Let's talk about books. Why don't we take a quick break before we jump into the author and context? Okay, great. Come on, let's go. So, Kari, why don't you give us some background on 
Donnie Walton and maybe her inspiration for the final revival of Opal and Nev. Sure. Now, Donnie, I pulled some interviews um, from places like NPR um, and also some profiles on places like Goodreads to kind of uh, put together this bio and talk about her motivation a little bit. So Donnie Walton was born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida. She's earned an MFA from the Iowa Writers Workshop, and that was in 2018. She holds a journalism degree from Florida A&M University, and she came from a family of music lovers, from jazz to soul. As a teenager, she was drawn to Nirvana and alternative rock, although she didn't see herself, of course, reflected in this music. She still loved it. She grew up as one of the only black girls in her world, so she went to a predominantly white school, very white area, and her life was forever changed when she went to Florida A&M, of course, and HBCU. This is a quote from her. She says, to create that kind of community in college has been one of the gifts of my life and taught me a lot about moving forward in my life and the kind of community that I want to have around me. And that brings me peace and strength. thought that was beautiful. Mm -hmm. For her debut novel, The Final Revival of Opal and Ev, the former Essence Magazine editor, Donnie Walton, mm. no doubt benefited from her own experience as a journalist for one of pop culture's leading publications. Mm. She currently lives in Brooklyn with her husband. So one thing I found interesting about Donnie Walton is that she started writing this story in 2013. And then she had some personal transitions um, in her life. And what happened was she was watching a 1990. Um, for film footage of a Talking Heads concert. And she saw the front runner pull one of the background singers to the front. Who was black? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, he gave her a lot of attention. And so it gave her a lot of what if questions in her head. And that's Mm -hmm. where she was able to start the story. So she wrote a first draft about two thirds of a first draft. And then she got a, I think it's called a McDowell award and she was able to um, continue on with her story. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And thank you for your share. Let's hear a brief synopsis uh, without spoilers before we jump into our deep dive. So no spoiler synopsis. Here we go. A fictional story written as a brilliant profile on one of the greatest and most misunderstood rock duos in history. Think Mick Jagger and Tina Turner or Grace Jones and David Bowie. It interviews those responsible for Opal and Nev's rise to fame. Each producer, bandmate and agent tell their side of who the two stars were and what role they played in the horrific event that led to a man's death and Opal and Nev's being ostracized by industry insiders and wannabes for years to come. Alexis, what were your first thoughts of the final revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton? Well, just kind of looking at the cover, I thought it was going to be a pretty interesting book. Uh, The little guitar with the, the woman's face in it. Um, that intrigued me, but of course I hadn't heard anything about the book. So um, nothing beyond that. How about you, Kari? Who do you think would enjoy reading this book? Um, One of the elephants in the room I'll say is uh, a book it's often compared to 
uh, Daisy Jones and the Six. That book, too, is like a profile written by a journalist of a band um, from a similar um, era. But this book is very different from Daisy Jones and the Six in some really essential and great ways. So they're nothing alike. Um, but if you like Daisy Jones and the Six and if you like that, those, that audio book with the different actors that played each character, then you will also enjoy listening to the audio and reading the final revival of Opal and Nev. Yeah. Okay. I definitely agree with you that this is a very different book. I yeah. remember getting... Um, a good ways through and then thinking, oh, this this book is not the same at all. There's <laughs> it's not a comparison, which is great because each can stand in its own spotlight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, uh, Kari, are you ready to dive deep into this book? Uh, yes, this will be a no spoiler synopsis, similar to what we did in Deacon King Kong, where I'll set the book up and then we'll have a discussion. And of course, I didn't provide you with the questions for our discussion because I forgot, similar to Deacon King Kong. Here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry about go. that, but it'll be fun. So right. uh, <laughs> here we go. Sunny Shelton. Now, who is Sunny? Let's meet her. Um, Sunny is the journalist who's finally writing about her father's crazy mistress, the one he got himself killed over before she was even born. So Sunny's father died while Sunny's mom was still pregnant. After years of justifying her existence in an industry that seldom praises black writers and researchers, Sonny's been promoted to the head of a cult music magazine. It's a big deal. Her new job earned her a prime seat at an award show where she literally ran into, quote unquote, the woman. Mm. It was Opal. <laughs> like she was coming out of the bathroom and Opal was coming in and uh, Sonny just, I almost said Donnie, because that's who I picture is <laughs> like this character. Donnie um, the author. No, Donnie Walton. So, <laughs> uh, so um, Sonny runs into Opal and Opal's stuff goes everywhere. Opal shoots her look like, girl. And then Opal looks at her and goes, I know who you are. You're Jimmy's daughter. So that ex accident led to a private meeting with 60 something Opal smoking a blunt in her own home. Mm -hmm. so they met that way a very accidental like meet cute um and then opal invited sunny to her personal home to share her story with her let's meet opal always the standout from an early age she looked different from her half sister um her half sister's name is pearl by the way darker skin and she was even bald due to alopecia when she was around 11 or 12, her mother sent her and her sister to the South where they got a firsthand look at how ugly racism could be. But it's also where they discovered the church and her sister discovered her voice. So this is the final revival of Opal and Nev. But growing up, it was Pearl, the half sister who had the voice and could outsing, you know, anyone in the room. She also was like shapely and cute and um, Opal was the exact opposite. No one thought she was cute. She was a bald little girl who wore hats a lot. And her singing voice was just okay. Now let's meet Nev. Um, he's an older gentleman. 
think Elton John, David Bowie, uh, when we meet him, but he's charming, especially his laugh. And his voice is iconic, his singing voice, the way he goes from high to low, bringing his lyrics to life. His agent allowed Sonny a meeting with Nev only because um, Sonny had Opal's favor and may spill the beans on an upcoming reunion. So this is a big deal. Opal and Nev are planning to get back together, possibly. So uh, the agent was like, usually I wouldn't let you have a sit down with Nev, but I really don't want you spilling this news and us not having any input. So we'll go ahead and put you on a private plane with him and you can talk to him while he's um, commuting across the pond. Um, So uh, Sonny also, before securing this uh, talk with Nev, had to get a sit down with their one time producer, Highs, who has um, been experiencing late stage cancer. Um, and that implies this will be his last interview ever. Um, and Heise is like really sweet. Everyone loves him, by the way. The way he talks to her is very kind and he's very forthcoming. Um, so back to Nev. Nev. Nev tells the story of his young artsy mom and his older supportive dad. He sees his mother as the model feminist. He says, you Americans would probably see a picture of my mom and dad and be like grossed out because my dad's like old and frumpy and my mom's like young and cute. But Mm -hmm. my dad provided her with stability and she was trying to make it as an actress. She was beautiful with red hair and blue eyes, um, but her acting career never happened for her. She went into a depression and when she um, aged out of these lead roles, she kind of didn't know what to do with her life. His father was always gone working. So with that combination with a mother who was trying to be something bigger and it wasn't working out for her and the dad always gone, Nev grew up very lonely, creative, but lonely. His mother bought him piano lessons, hoping to find the spotlight vicariously through her son. From jump, Nev was terrible. (laughs) He couldn't really play the piano. And the teacher was like, I'm sick of taking this woman money for her son that can't even play. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) he uh, noticed Nev's writing. He was writing an original story about a character in his mind named Thomas who would have fits. And in these fits, he would travel around the world. And eventually, Thomas climbs to Mount Kilimanjaro and meets a girl just like him. And they travel the world and have these adventures together. This is the story that Nev is writing because he's very creative and lonely with time on his hands. And that got the piano um, teacher thinking, maybe there's another way to teach this kid music. Nev starts writing lyrics and playing with the teacher's um, band for fun. So the piano teacher had his own band. He was like, come on, kid, you can basically be our mascot and write some lyrics that will play. Um, I never met anyone with a creative mind like Nev's, says the teacher today when he's interviewed. The band started getting jealous, however, when Nev became the reason for their popularity. So they were never, um, you know, they never had a a great following. But once they brought this kid along with his quirky lyrics and mannerisms, acting like the star, then more people started showing up for their shows. But they was like, y'all coming for the wrong reasons. This little boy ain't even really in the band. Also, (laughs) were you going to say that? No, go ahead. Also, his parents were financing Yeah. So like studio time and um, the practice um, venues, his parents, Nev's parents would pay for. So the band was kind of like beholden to this kid that they just brought on kind of for fun. (laughs) And now they have to play with them. 
And so when Nev, um, and remember like the mom really wants to find the spotlight through her son. So they're bankrolling this whole operation. And when Nev decided to switch from piano to guitar, it was like the final straw. The band was like, no, because if you get the guitar, you're going to get the ladies and we just can't have it because you ain't nothing but a baby. <laughs> so they kicked him out. They was like, we don't want your money. If we never find success, that'll be better than finding success with you. They were jealous. <laughs> Talk and he was like a friend but well, they weren't really friends so we they can't say friends. the ones yeah. that we hate no you kind of like I said your, your uh-huh, failure like is you. my success mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like this is awkward because I was never really in the band um, <laughs> so he gets kicked out sadly soon his mom dies in a car accident and Nev vows to be the star she always wanted him to be he moves to New York, signs a 360 deal with Revington Records. It's a terrible deal, deal where they get a portion of his um, funds for an indefinite amount of time. And that includes uh, money made off of his name in any way, not just the music. That's called a 360 deal. And he signed it because someone was going to finally pay for him to do what he loved to do. Uh, like a lot of people do. Uh, the owner of Revington was Howie Kelly. And he's like uh, just terrible like slimy type of guy Mm -hmm, Um, gross eventually yeah eventually though nev meets highs his label's new like producer scout ar manager rep that's highs so let's meet bob highs the producer will say he's english just like nev so they come from across the pond um they're brethren in that way his wife is an american model pregnant and they're in their 30s, early 30s. They like just turned 30. And he's trying to get his life together. Uh, he wanted to go into a label and work with an established new artist who showed promise. He found Nev. So back to Nev. Howie Kelly saw Mick Jagger singing with Mary Clayton once and decided Nev needed a black chick alongside him. And that's how he said it. I want to do what that did because it was <laughs> a commercial success. So I want to do what they did. And so let's also get a black girl. They I visited roll. a small venue. <laughs> What'd you say? I roll. Right. <laughs> I roll. They visited a small venue in Detroit and found what uh, what the uh, owner of Remington, Howie Kelly, says, the Coke bottle and the straw. <laughs> so remember, Pearl is like the sister with the voice. She's all shapely. And Opal is like stick straight, bald, um, very dark skin. So that's who they found. They called it the Coke bottle and the straw. Opal had created their outfits for the venue to like showcase her sister Pearl. Now they never got along greatly, but they weren't enemies at all. It was kind of like a typical older sister who thinks she knows everything and younger sister who's wild type of relationship. Um, So for this um, Opal or yeah, uh, Pearl is very much still a part of the church. So she's like, cover me up, you know, and she's standing there very still and singing. And um, when they used to be in church, Oval would say, man, you could hear the rapture in her uh, throat, but you couldn't see it because she was boring. <laughs> so at this venue in Detroit, Howie wanted Pearl. In fact, when he's talking to her, he's staring straight at her chest and she, he's like, come sing with my artist. Da, 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 da. Um, but Nev wanted Opal. He said that is Thomas's girl from the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. So he saw an Opal and 
um, like a outcast, a fellow outcast. He knew right away this is a girl that's not accepted, but she's got all the personality in the world. I want her in my life. And he kind of felt like a possession of her immediately. This is Nev over Opal. Mm -hmm. So um, Howie listens to his artist and reluctantly is like, uh, Opal, do you have representation? And Pearl goes, are you serious? <laughs> now, Pearl says she wasn't jealous. She just wanted to make sure her sister wasn't being taken advantage of. But that moment was ugly in Opal's eyes. And she never forgot it, that her sister thought no way someone could be giving you the spotlight over me. That's how it felt to her. Um, so she was like, do I have representation, honey? So, uh, yeah, let's go back to Opal. Howie presented Opal with a contract, just like the one he gave Nev, he said. Remember that terrible 360 deal? But Opal was street smart and she wouldn't sign it. Something in her gut told her to get a lawyer, even though she, first of all, didn't have a lawyer and was from nowhere. She was like, I'll have to have my lawyer look this over. And Howie was furious. He went off on some racist rant, um, like, you know, no way this black whatever is going to tell me what I can and can't do and blah, blah, blah. Nev, though, only had eyes for Opal. He was like, it's either Opal or no one. So Nev convinced Highs, who's the producer, more um, like uh, level-headed gentleman. He convinced Highs and also like another English man to talk to uh, Howie. <laughs> and Highs had this way of playing with Howie's ego mm -hmm. so he could make Howie do whatever he wanted because he knew that Howie was just an um, egomaniac and he knew how to work people like that because his father was like that. So Howie, t uh, Highs, excuse me, tells Howie, listen, if you can't get her, you just can't come on back home and we'll start over. <laughs> and Howie was like, excuse me, I can get whatever I want. And so he made sure to sign Opal. Nev went to visit Opal privately and they had like an acapella jam session in her kitchen, just the two of them. It's a really touching moment because Opal has her head covered as she always does, but they're vibing so well that she takes her head covering off and there are like bald patches. She hasn't shaved her head. It's just bald patches all over her head. And he looks at her, Nev looks at her and they just continue singing and playing. Never in her life had Hope Opal ever been chosen. And here was a man choosing her. She knew in her heart she was going to sign regardless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but she still insisted that the contract be massaged and they bent to her needs, which was good. Um, and then Nev started calling her at all hours of the night when he flew back to England because the time difference. He would ask her to sing certain lyrics of his over the phone. Her mom and her sister was like, is he on drugs? Why is he calling so late at night? <laughs> Um, and then the time came for Opal to fly to New York and meet her future. Um, when the time came, Nev was looking for her in New York. She was supposed to have arrived. He couldn't find her. He called her mom's house and Pearl picked up and said, but isn't she with you? Opal was MIA. So where was Opal? She was 21 years old, first time away from her family on her own in New York City. And she looked around and she said, this is the city for me. She saw a black woman roller skating past Central Park telling folks to move out the way. And she said, oh, my people. <laughs> now, the label had arranged for Opal to stay um, somewhere. I forget, maybe in the village. I forget. But um, she was adamant about being in Harlem. And to Harlem, she went. 
She imagined starting her own personal renaissance in Harlem. She found a room in a brownstone owned by a kind widow. The basement unit was a black family with beautiful, clean children and no rent money. <laughs> and, the top, <laughs> and the top floor was Virgil Lafleur. So let's meet Virgil Lafleur. He's trim, fit, wavy hair, fine, French accent, thanks to his Haitian blood, hazel eyes, and more personality than anyone she'd ever met. Mm -hmm. He was was and is Opal's first true friend. They're still friends to this day. The best friends. They're like family. He calls Opal mad. That's his name for her. Cute. um so he owned at the time a consignment shop filled or actually um he owned what did he do when she met him he oh he was in theater Mm -hmm. but like today he owns a consignment shop filled with the most beautiful pieces he's ever created for her in museum quality display boxes that he makes sure everyone knows are not for sale and will never be for sale (laughs) so like we said he's a theatrical person shakespearean trained but his thespian life was not meant to be. There's even this um, scene he describes because he was the understudy for like Othello and he was ready for his moment in the spotlight. So he took a, a used tissue of his and put it in Othello's coat pocket. <laughs> and he was like, it seemed to make the actor even stronger. I never got my opportunity to shine as his understudy. He was like, that's why desperation, you know, isn't cute. I I never act desperate like that again. When he saw Mad, it was like she was a raggedy angel that fell into his life Mm -hmm. at the perfect time. Emphasis on raggedy, honey, he says. (laughs) He says she could have used a toasted oat as a hula hoop. (laughs) (laughs) He was going to help her, though, be bigger and better. They'd spend evenings with artists and wine and mornings they'd spend together with coffee. They were inseparable. Both were broke. So they would hunt for meals together, you know, visiting these parties to be like cheese eaters. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how they ate. Virgil says that during this time he made money styling ladies hair. Opal says. Virgil is the weed man. Okay, <laughs> he was like, I don't know what she told you. I don't know what she told you, but I styled <laughs> hair. I was a hairstylist. Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Opal's like, everyone loved weed man. That's how we could get into all these uh, circles. One day, Nev showed up at their front door in Harlem, pounding it down with a notebook in his hand. A crying Opal hid immediately. Virgil opened the door, took the notebook. And ran back to Mad, who was in the back room bawling her eyes out. I'm a phony, she confided in Virgil. <laughs> she did, she played like this grand diva role and now she didn't think she could de- deliver. Um, she didn't even know how to read music, by the way. We will have our work cut out for us, he replied. Mm. So her troubles became his troubles and he was going to fix it. So Virgil paid a local musician a brick of weed and the man taught Opal the melodies in Nev's notebook. She still couldn't read music, but at least she knew how the song was supposed to flow. Mm -hmm. Virgil created a full costume and makeup and Opal showed up to the first recording session shaved bald and beautiful. She had huge earrings on this beautiful um, like chiffon gown. With wings. It was a sight with wings, yes, mm-hmm. that Virgil had um, crafted for her. And it's a moment that's still talked about throughout the industry. 
Bob High says she looked like Holiday on on Mars. <laughs> she looked like Holiday on Mars. But her lack of experience was clear from the start. She was doing things like grabbing the mic, things you see on TV that she would never do in a practice session because it'll mess up the sound. Um, so it was just obvious that she was she was an amateur and didn't know anything, although she looked the part. Now let's talk about Jimmy. Jimmy is Sonny's father, and Sonny, again, is the journalist collecting all these interviews. It wasn't that Opal was so great. He says she needed some work, but we saw how great she could be. Um, So Jimmy did this interview before his death, and that's where Sonny is pulling these quotes from her father throughout the book. Back to Opal. Her connection to Jimmy was instant. Mostly, honestly, because he was black. There was a level of friendship she developed with Nev over the course of years that she had instantly with Jimmy. And Jimmy was the drummer. Opal's only friend in the world was Virgil. Her sister and her family were far away. She got closer to Jimmy, closer than she should have, but she wasn't ashamed. So it used to be that just her and Virgil would spend days and days together in the city. Then Nev came into their life and they started taking him along. I think Virgil called him like his puppy or something. (laughs) I forget (laughs) what he called him, but he had a cute little name for uh, Nev. So then it was the three of them. But then Jimmy got in the mix and Nev became jealous. It was obvious that Jimmy and Opal had this connection and Nev hated it. Um, In fact, Nev was like always feeling like the odd one out his mm-hmm. entire life. So he thought he had formed this click, you know, all I ever needed was my click, but he didn't have it. Cause he was the, it was like, it was, oh. I totally so get he, it. I totally yeah, get it. He felt like the outcast in mm-hmm. a group that he thought was going to accept him for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed to the rest of the band that Nev and Jimmy wanted to fight each other constantly. And then Black Coffee happened. This is a song that Nev wrote about, you know, the hard downtrodden life of a black woman. He created, um, you know, her life as a single mother. All the stereotypes rolled into one. These songs play well on Billboard. They do. Um, But everyone was thinking, I'm black and I'm proud. This is when uh, James Brown had people, you know, growing out they fro. They didn't want to be singing this downtrodden song like black was a burden. But um, Nev insisted this was his song and um, Opal had to sing it. Uh, She was against it from the start, but Jimmy was the one who refused to play it. Mm. And Opal was loyal to Jimmy. And so Nev felt betrayed in like an irreversible way. Nev thought, how dare that mine, my um, band, my drummer coerce my girl, my artist. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to unpack there. None of these people belong to Nev, but you know. The final project, their final album, Opal and Nev, was met with a lukewarm reception. People were confused about their look. You know, you got this Grace Jones looking black girl and, you know, David Bowie, which actually, no, that would have fit. But Nev was also like odd. He didn't have the swagger of a Bowie either. He just had red hair. But then the audience showcase was um, put on the schedule. So, So it was hard for all of them to find their audience, like we said. But the showcase would help them in front of um, industry executives, journalists, insiders um, establish their sound as a record company. 
And so it was supposed to be good for all the artists on the label. There is one image from that showcase that is iconic today. Sunny's staff at her magazine sit around a long table and examine the most famous photo from that night. Some are like, uh, you know, Opal looks like a warrior. Nev looks like a pushover, like her puppy. Mm. Or they both look like revolutionaries. So there's something really... um, <sighs> captivating, seductive about this photo. It like encapsulates the moment, not just that night, but the era, the showcase. Revington Records had signed a group called the Bond Brothers, um, and they're a hit instantly, Confederate flags and all. The Bond Brothers are like Leonard Skinner. Um, Opal called Jimmy. They're like from Florida, very tied to Confederate culture. Um, And Opal called Jimmy asking, what should she do? Should she play the showcase knowing that the Bond brothers were going to be like the opening, not the opening act, the final act, Mm -hmm. the um, headliner. headliner. Mm -hmm. And Jimmy was like, listen, we need to slow down because my wife is pregnant with Sonny. (laughs) And she was like, "Okay, but can you focus? I don't even want you like that. (laughs) So... (laughs) The Vaughn brothers began touring and growing their audience, including biker gangs who love them. Um, and no doubt, like clan members are filling their shows. That's the kind of audience they have nurtured and who are attracted to them. Nev theorizes how everyone would have been better off had not that had the Bond brothers not been signed, but had Opal and Jimmy never got together. He feels like that's where everything went wrong is when Opal and Jimmy got together. Highs, the producer, begins planning for the Remington Showcase. Opal was determined not to be a part of that event, like we said, because of the Bond Brothers. And Nev agreed to the showcase without consulting her, leaving Opal like alone in her resistance. So she told Nev that I'm going to sing. Okay, I'll sing, but only if Jimmy is on the drums. Mm. And she did that not just because Jimmy was the best drummer in the world, but to spite Nev. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To make him mad because she knew he was jealous of of Jimmy. The buildup. So, hmm. It's the night of the showcase. The Bond brothers secure a prime dressing room and the final headlining spot, despite being the newer artists. They spill out into the hallways with their antics and their Confederate memorabilia. For the first few acts of the showcase, the first two rows of the audience are empty. And that's the prime spots in the house. So everyone's like, who's coming? When are they coming? Who are these seats reserved for? Everyone wonders who until a biker gang shows up with gifted tickets from the Bond brothers. And at this point, Howie, even though he's slimy, the owner of the record company is like, how could you give the first two rows to a biker gang? Like, what is wrong with y'all? Like in the head. (laughs) And they start threatening him because they got the entourage. They got the guns. And so it becomes a very hostile situation. After the biker gang take their seats and spill into the aisles, the audience overall becomes unruly. The biker game is screaming filth and acting like wild animals. The viewers in the balcony begin to chastise them. It's like a call back and forth. Um, Virgil can't take it. He's like, this is all deeply unfabulous. I'm going to set up shop in the ladies' bathroom. That (laughs) That would be better than this. And he do. 
Mm-hmm. He said, I could do makeup in here. Excuse me. Yeah. So he sets up shop in the woman's bathroom and that's where he stays before taking his place in the balcony before Opal and Nev's spot. There's a female group performing new to the label. Also, the Bond brothers and their entourage attack those uh, ladies verbally and physically, grabbing one and spanking her in front of everyone. When the dust settles over that night, some will even blame those women for wearing skimpy costumes, riling the men up, the men behind the stage and the men in the audience. And for a long time, the one that got spanked believed it was all her fault. Mm. She says, not anymore. I know it wasn't me. So anyway, finally, Opal, she can't take it anymore. Jimmy pulls her aside and tells her with the way the atmosphere is, you're not playing tonight. And you don't really want to be telling people what they is and ain't going to do. Nope. So they have a fight. They argue. And then he begins to plead with her. That would be Jimmy's final hour of life. And the next morning, his name would be in the papers as a casualty of that evening. Sonny would never meet her father. So that's the setup. I don't think I've given anything away. What happened that night and what really happened that night, uh, we find out from the um, like third quarter to the end of the book. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you, Alexis, what in your opinion is the final revival of Opal and Nev about? Ooh, that's a good question. I think it's about Sunny um, trying to find out what happened to her father and about that relationship, he that extramarital affair he had. You think the whole book is about that? Oh, let me think slowly, slowly. Um, oh, this is because she knew the facts. She knew about the relationship, and she knew how her father died. Yeah, yeah, but she was digging deeper. She wanted something more that she felt like she could only get from Opal. So she has been trying to find out who her father really is, not just on the surface. And in these people's um, point of view, she is piecing together who her father really was. Mm-hmm. His, Because um, everyone's like, oh, he laughed like this and he was a great drummer. But who was he? Um, so there is some of that. I can see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Her trying to find out um, not necessarily about the relationship he had, but who he really was. Mm-hmm. Well, I think she wanted to know what, why she got into this relationship with this married man. I think she also wanted to know that. I don't mm-hmm. think it was about her. I don't think it was about the book was about her career. I do feel like it was about getting that information out of Opal. You don't think it was about Sonny's career? No. No. That's interesting because toward the end of the book, the relationship between Opal and Jimmy isn't even talked about. Um, it's more about the truth of that night. So it isn't necessarily to me about him and who he was or his connection to Opal, but what really happened. It And it does kind of, to me, start to be about her career because she puts down her personal, um, her questions regarding who her father was and that familial relationship she never had. And she starts digging into the history of that night and how it's seen in the pop culture's eye. And what really happened. And that to me does feel more like it's about her profile. Oh, really? On Opal and Nev. Uh, no, mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, I, I really felt like it was her digging in, you know, trying to find the answer um, about not only that night, but that relationship with her father. And it was like it was an opening for her. 
And from there, she was able to find out so much more when she got that Mm -hmm. piece. What happened after that? But it was like the catalyst for her to get there. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a bomb dropped, a bomb of information, Mm -hmm. and it completely uh, throws her off of her, like, path. Yeah. She is, yeah. And then even once she gets that information and then she has some other things happen, she decides, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. She's like, okay, I'm going to move on from that. This is what I'm going to do. And it became about telling this woman's story, telling Opal's story and making Opal somebody. So she she had this connection from Opal. She connected with Opal as a child. Um, so, yeah, it was like the taboo character in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and she didn't know, but Opal followed her uh, virtually throughout her life. Everything um, Sunny did all the publications um, that she was involved with, all the articles she published, and even her education, Opal was directly involved with after Jimmy died. Right. Yeah. So that was- I also thought about how um, blackness plays such a key role in the in this book. It it's does. Opal's blackness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Opal's blackness that led her to Harlem. So Nev is like floating in the world, never knowing you know, where he belongs. But when Opal arrives in New York, she knows right away where to go. Not because she knows anyone in Harlem. She just knows she wants to be around black people and she knows she'll find a nest there and some community and a comfort. And she does. She does. And when she saw that roller, the older woman roller skating, she was like, this is home. I'm home. This is home. (laughs) I was like, I I really know that feeling. I can see that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So um, her blackness gave her this foundation that Nev never found. And it was also her blackness that drew her to Jimmy and all the subsequent events um, that occur. It's her blackness that um, couldn't tolerate the hate of the Bond brothers. Right. She had those experiences Um, earlier in life that really kind of made her passionate about her blackness and what would not be tolerated. And I think that. Yeah. Was so the Bond brothers are like, this is our history as a family. We carry the Confederate flag because it's our heirloom and it has nothing to do with black people. We know black people have issues with it, but that's not really our problem. And then um, Opal is like, well, that flag represents the people who tried to keep my people enslaved. And I know firsthand with those how those people act toward people who look like me. So to celebrate this is something I can't. I can't be a part of any event that even partially celebrates that. Um, So and then also it's like a self-love story. It's not a love story in the way that Daisy Jones and the Six is where it's a very traditional um, guy meets girl, but guy already has girl. (laughs) This is more (laughs) like a self-love story. Everyone in this book. Mm-hmm. Everyone in this book is trying to come into themselves and build something they'll be remembered for. Um, that includes Nev's mom, yep. who was trying to become a star. Nev himself, yep. Opal Highs, even, who seems like a very kind man. He came to New York trying to be something for his family. Mm-hmm. So everyone except Pearl, <laughs> Opal's sister. What do you think of Pearl as a character? Is she truly content with her life? And if so, is she the happiest person in this book? And what does that mean? (laughs) Is she just pretending like 
what is she? I don't honestly, I do not think she was um pretending. I think this is she really appreciates appreciates who she is, who she's become. I mean, yeah, I think she appreciates who she is and who she's become. The church, right? Mhm. She had this moment that changed her life and this is where she's comfortable. She's got her pastor husband and yeah, she she's is the about, first lady of the church and God's been good and she, everything is yeah she, she's <laughs> got a, a mission and that is to um evangelize and change people's lives bring them to Jesus and I think she's so very that's sincere a good point. about that so she has a purpose in her mm-hmm. life she she has found a um she has found a spot in which she fits very well yeah. And so that makes her very content. You know, she has a strong family. And so she she is the high and mighty, super righteous <laughs> person. Yeah. But because she has purpose mm-hmm. um, and everything to her is as she has expected it to be. Whereas everyone else in the book, their expectations are not met in reality. Yeah. And then and some of them don't know until very late what what truth really is uh, occurring around them. Yeah, and she's like initially when she met the um producer, is he the producer? Howell. Uh, um So Howie is Howie. the owner of Remington Records. When she met Howie, um she was like grossed out by him init- immediately and she I feel like she really did take on the big sister role and like and, and what is that based on? What are you coming from my sister for? I really feel like that was genuine from her. And two things can be true. She can have been protective of her sister and also insulted because she had the voice. She was the one everyone always chose for someone to choose her sister over her. Just felt like it went against the natural order of things. Yeah, I suppose. I think so. Both is true. Mm -hmm. Okay, so finally, what makes this book unique? How is the final revival of Opal and Nev a unique story? Mm. They're both very unique people nev and opal they've both been separate not separated but they see themselves as uh i I don't know did i think she felt like an outcast yes both see themselves as these outcasts and um they're both reaching for this stardom um at this because they both like the light you know, one wants it more yeah, than Nev ever. Wants to, Nev wants to live the dreams of his mother. Opal just wants to find her place in the world, mm-hmm. always having feeling like an outsider, like you said. Yeah, yeah, and so that piece in there, and then what makes it even more different is to weave this Black story through it. That's what mm-hmm. I think kind of cements it for me because it it really is about... um it really includes these pieces about the um, experiences of a black person in this industry during this particular time. Yeah. Opal makes a a great comment. She says um, when she met Nev, she trusted him more because he was an English rock and roll Mm -hmm. guy. And the English bands always gave credit to the originators of the sound, the black people who originated it. Whereas here in America, it was always like, 
um, not really talked about or uh, like glazed over. We made this sound. We were influenced by a lot of different genres and blah, blah, blah. No, in England, those bands were like, well, we were influenced by black Americans and the soul and funk of um, that they produce. Mm -hmm. And this is our interpretation of that or this is how it feels for us. Mm -hmm. And that she respected yep. because it's still your music when you make it. But we all have influences. So because they were so transparent, she went ahead and blanketed that honesty and transparency over all Englishmen. And she was like, if I'm going to partner with anyone white, it would have to be a Brit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so her and Nev found each other in that way. And he was really in love with the music. Um, but yeah, they both have family issues. Even her, she didn't just want to find her place in society. She probably wanted to prove her parents wrong. They, right. Not her parents, her mom dad. and sister. Because they were so determined to be regular, she thought. Yeah. <laughs> she said that <laughs> And they too. was like... Yeah, and they look down her on her for not getting a quote unquote real job mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, I can show you that I can do things my way. Yeah, yeah. And then... I also think about Jimmy. He was like skilled. Everybody talked about how great he was at, at what he did and how he embraced mm -hmm. people in the industry and, right. and helped and um, kind of mentored them through the process. And I, I like having that piece in there because I'm sure that happened during that time period because, you know, this is inexperience and these record industries are taking advantage of people. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, great. Well, that's going to be Opal enough for us. You ready to take a break? And then we'll get into our final verdict and if we would recommend this book. Sounds good to me. And we're back. Alexis, what did you think of the final revival of Opal and Nev? And would you recommend it? I did really enjoy this book um, because I like the story of it. The um, plot twist was a great plot twist. I was like, wait, what did I just read? And I went I back. didn't even see a twist. I had thought that all along. Oh, but go ahead. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. mm. Mm. <laughs> but then it took me back when that plot twist happened. I was like, oh, okay. And then I went back to that meeting where they were dissecting the picture and one of the responses that people made. And I was like, interesting. Oh, see, I missed that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can't wait to dive back into it. And I said, okay, all right. That's, that's exactly what this is when they're examining that picture. So I really like the way they handled the plot twist. I think they did a good job with that. I was, I was surprised, right, with everybody else. I, mm -hmm. That's only because I think I, I'm always like, yeah, this is right. Just the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, you accept it the way it's presented yeah, to you. Uh -huh. So that's how I read books. That makes it. And I think that's one of the things that makes it different. That nice little plot twist. Because then it becomes about something bigger than just mm -hmm. the characters in the book. Yep, yep, yep. It turned into something. And not, next thing you know, we're reacting to what we just learned. And and then where do we go from here? And all these things that happen as a result of just that bit of knowledge. So right. I really enjoyed the story. Um, Donnie Walton did an excellent job on it. And um, I would definitely recommend it. Although the language is there. Strong language, folks. Strong language. Um, mm -hmm. 
I would definitely um, recommend it with that note that it has strong language. How about you, Kari? Would you recommend it? Would you read this book again? Yeah, I love this could have just been a love story about Opal and Nev, but it became about so much more from the beginning. It was telling you that's not what this is. This is about more than that. And I love that. I love that. It's not just a story about race. It's not just a story about romantic love. Um, and it shows, too, how two things can be true about a person or three or four. A person can be um, a great, good person overall but have some really negative qualities or people who are outcasts and who form like a soft heart and seem to be so kind and often overlooked can be manipulative and, um, you know, think about them and selfish (laughs) that that can all be true at the same time. So, um, yeah, I love that. And then you have, um, the producer highs who, you know, he's like probably the good looking uh, mover and shaker, self-confident in a way, married to the supermodel. But he has a very um, humble side to him that as a stereotype, you might not, you know, expect out of the big time producer. So I love that. I loved how it just um, forced you to accept everyone as an individual. Yeah, it. Oh, I was going to say it just really does give each character dimension. And it's economical in the way that every character needs to be there. There's a part where Virgil and Opal go to Paris and he's um, networking. And he's like, maybe I'll stay here for a few more months and maybe I'll have my own collection. And Opal's like, you're not going to come back with me. And he's like, I love you, baby, but I got my own life. Mm-hmm. I loved that. Mm-hmm. He was his own person, yep. his own character. And he wasn't just the, the you know. Um, Friend and stylist. Mm-hmm. I would recommend this book. I thought it was done very well. Um, And it's not very long. Like this is a great book to grab on vacation, to be transported somewhere else. It's fun. Um, Yeah. And it's not really about the music. There Mm -mm. isn't a lot of music going on in this book. Mm -mm. Um, So uh, like I felt. Uh, again, not to compare it to Daisy Jones constantly because it's its own thing. But Daisy Jones and the Six, you can hear the lyrics being sung. You can when you're reading that book, you can feel the music. This is a book that kind of fools you because you like, oh, this is about love and music. Nah, <laughs> that's about some other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool. Ask some hard questions in a very uh, not preachy way. Mm-hmm. Done very well. I can't believe this is a debut novel. Well done, Donnie. Yeah, you're awesome. Okay, Kari. What are we reading next week? Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by me, Alexis Honoria, and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you. We too. love you too. If you enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read, read something. something.